last time that you chased something. So, like, um, yeah, yeah, Mick, you, you, I've, I've seen you at youth group, mate. There's, there's no chasing there. So, um, the thing is, like, it may, it may not have to be a physical chase. Like, it might be chasing after. You might be saving up for something. And, and when we get there, we'll buy that. Or maybe it's... Um, you might remember back when you were chasing after your your wife or you're chasing after your husband like um and the, and the pursuit of that um and so like when it when it comes to chasing there is an effort put in and so and again like when you're when you're younger and you're playing a game of chase like there's the people that are chasing and the people that are running around and and both sides put a lot of effort in like the side that's trying to get away they don't want to get caught and the, the people that are chasing don't want to be up for the whole lunch hour at school and I'm gonna, I'm just gonna confess something, uh, here right now. I'm just going back to when I was in grade two at, uh, school. And, um, someone suggested playing catch and kiss at grade two. Now, the thing is, I don't think I understood the concept of it because for me, it was a game of chase and the girls were up. And so the whole idea for me was that we don't get caught. That's what you do when you chase. And so I spent my lunch hour running faster, hiding better. And just disappearing from the girls that were chasing because if you were playing a game of chase, you don't want to get caught. So I think I missed the concept um, um, uh, back then. But the thing is, I ran with all passion and all energy. And when it comes to um, us pursuing God, there is God has a desire for us to chase him, to, to pursue him and to pursue the things that he loves and to adopting his heart into our lives. And even though God wants us to chase him, it doesn't mean that God is running away from us because that would kind of defeat the purpose. Because you know what? Even in my younger days when I was fit and active fully, if I tried to run after God and God was running away, there was no chance I was going to catch him. And so we've got to see, in, in, even though we are chasing after God, there is a desire in God's heart to be caught by us. In fact, God is actually pursuing us probably more relenting than we're pursuing him. And so if we start chasing after God, it's like playing hide and go seek with your kids. You, you make them wait five seconds too long and they'll come out and go, here I am. That's what God wants to do for us when we pursue him. God will just make himself evident, but he wants us to have this intent in our heart to chase after him and pursuing that godly heart. So um, Sally just read that story from um, uh, 1 Samuel and um, Saul has been king for some time um, but already he has shown his character is not as godly as it wants to be and basically he's been <coughs> told to wait for, um, for Samuel to rock up and to present the offering before God before they go into battle. And, and Saul, Samuel said to Saul, you need to wait this amount of time. And... and Samuel was a little bit late. You can see he was only a little bit late because he, he actually got there just as the offering had been finished happening. And, and when, when, when Samuel asked, well, what have you done? You'll actually, if you read through that passage, there's a, there's a whole other sermon there where, which I won't get into that. He basically go, well, Samuel, this was all your fault. Like, if you had rocked up when you said, this wouldn't have happened. Even in that, you see, you see Saul's heart. This is not my fault. This is not my problem. You're to blame. We, we see that attitude in the world and we live in quite evident. And it is creeping into the church as well. 
When something happens that in my life that I don't like or don't want, like we, we don't take responsibility for stuff. But again, that's another sermon, not getting into that one today. Um, and so, but we come to these verses at the end of um, the, at verse 13 and 14 of 1 Samuel 13. It says, you have done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command the Lord your God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. This, this was a major thing. God all of a sudden shifted his, his view into finding another king for Israel because of what Saul had done. He says, but now your kingdom will not endure. The Lord has sought a man after his own heart and have appointed him ruler of his people because you have not kept the Lord's command. I suppose that in a way this, this verse is going to be like a little bit of a focal verse for the next six weeks. Because God is sort of man after his own heart. He continues to look for men and women who are after his own heart. And because the, the thing is, people often attempt to change their lives by changing their actions. We, we work harder at changing things about it, but, but the actions of our hands will never alter the attitude of our hearts. Like, you, you could intend to do good, but if you, if you feel hate or if you feel unforgiveness towards someone, it doesn't matter what you do on the outside, it won't change the inside. Our hearts must be changed and then our actions will follow. And so over the, the next few weeks, we're going to be follow, looking at the life of David and some of the stories from his life. Um, we won't always be going in, in, in order. We might be jumping around a little bit. And, um, but again, if you want to jump into 1 Samuel and, and 2 Samuel and, and read up about the life of David, I invite you to do so. Today we're going to look at, I suppose, three, three focal areas we're going to sort of skim over as we look at having a godly heart, having a heart that God is looking for. And as, as God looked at David, he said, and David is known for that phrase, a man after God's heart. How we too can have that in our own lives. So we're going to look at David the shepherd, David the servant, and David the king today. So David the shepherd, he was in the fields watching the flock. Now again, getting a little bit of uh, cultural understanding, that was a job either left for servants, or if you were rich enough to have servants, or the least important people in your household. So David was the youngest son, so he was the least important of all the brothers. You get that job. Now, the reason it, was, it, was, it wasn't a great job, because it was often far away from the rest of the family. You were alone. The only people you had to converse with are the sheep. Okay, and if you spend too much time talking to the sheep, probably won't be good for you in the long run. But also, it, it was not a great job. It was boring. The sheep ate. Sheep poop, sheep fell asleep and did it all over again. That was your day. And occasionally, somebody would try and come along and kill the sheep where you'd have to put your life in line with it to, to protect the sheep. So when it wasn't boring, it was life-threatening. It was kind of two extremes. There was no like, okay, well, today we get to do this. Instead, we're going to go on an excursion with all the sheep. Let's go to Dreamworld. All the sheep flying down the roller coaster. There's none of that. And so he was out there, he was in a forgotten, in a far off place, it was a lesser job. But this is the thing, like God was not looking for someone who was born in the right family. He was not looking for someone who was in the right circumstances. He was not looking for someone who had the right job or the right degrees. God is not always looking for the most talented or the most wealthy or the most well-positioned. 
See, the thing is, and this is the first point today, God is looking for the willing. See, sometimes we disqualify ourselves when it comes to following God. I can't do that, so I won't do that. But this is the first step. If you want to be used by God, if you want to be changed by God, is that God seeks the willing. What does that mean? When God asks you to do something, you say yes. When God wants you to take a step, you step. When God wants you to wait, you wait. When God says, I want to change your life, you go, yes, I'm willing to go through that process. It doesn't sound that hard, but I suppose this is where the willing comes in. We have to want God to be able to do that. We need to be willing to, to, to let God into our lives and doing that. See, he seeks the willing in this life. He seeks the willing in this world. He's looking for people with hearts sold out to him. And God knew David had a heart that was willing um, to do anything he asked him to do. And we know this. Um, we've kind of got like a, almost a, a spiritual journal that's in front of us in the book of Psalms. David was alone out there and he said, well, I can either sit here counting the grass, counting the sheep, looking for any lions or bears that may come along, or I can, I can make the most of this time. And David, he uses that solitude, grabs his Jewish guitar, and, I, and, I, and that alone time with the sheep, David made the most of it, especially with his pursuit of God. We, we see Psalms like, the Lord is my shepherd, would have come out of that time. David saw how he cared for the sheep and saw how God did that for him and his life. See, the thing is, God seeks the willing, and they are often found in hidden places. Saul was the king at this time. He was big. He was prominent. He was actually a big man. His son, Jonathan, is being prepared to follow. He's been trained in battle. He's got the right schools. He's got the right connections, the right social circles. David has none of that. He is the son of Jesse. Now, Jesse was not poor. Like, he probably had some means behind him. But he was not in Jerusalem. He was not in the, in the major places. But in saying that, David wasn't born in the right place. David was stuck out of sight in that hidden place and he was willing to do anything God wanted, but nobody noticed. Even his dad forgot. Anyone ever been forgotten by a parent in something? So like, I'm sure that it's gone the other way. Kids have often forgotten what some stuff for the parents, but David, um, Samuel, after this, um, the Bible reading uh, that Sally read earlier, Samuel grieved for a time and then God said, I'm going to go take you to someone who will be, who will be my king. We'll have a heart after mine. And so he brings him to Jesse's household. And Jesse, um, Samuel um, says to Jesse, like, um, God has brought me here today to anoint your son um, as new king of, uh, of Israel. And so, of course, Jesse goes, oh, you mean my older son. Let me bring him out. Big guy, ready, looks like ready to fight, ready to do amazing things. And Samuel looks at him. He says, this is amazing. God, this, this is the guy that will play Saul. And God says, no, nah, not him. Samuel's sort of a bit confused, but he sort of passes that message on to Jesse, not him. And so one by one, each of his sons comes in and meets before Samuel. And Samuel's standing there waiting for God to give the tick of approval and it doesn't come. And he gets to the end and Jesse says, well, that's all of them. That's it. I've got no more. And Samuel goes, are you sure you don't have any other sons? Oh, that's right. I've got that one out in the fields. My son, David. Now, as soon as he said that, 
Jesse is actually saying how important David is in the family structure. And Samuel, I don't know what Samuel read from that, but Samuel goes, well, go send for him and bring him back. So David comes in and as soon as he walks in front of Samuel, God speaks to, um, God speaks to Samuel and says, this is the one. This is the one who has a heart after mine. And so David walks in, probably oblivious to what is happening. Like maybe thinking he's in trouble, going, did you do something out there that the, the prophet of God has come here to talk to you about? So he's like, maybe he's coming up with a story to go, I, I didn't do anything, it wasn't me. And all of a sudden, he was asked to kneel and the oil's poured over his head and he says, you have anointed, you've been anointed to be the next king. Hey, what, what now? What's going on? Like I'm, I'm the new king. Not, not yet, but you will be the new king. His dad had forgotten him, but God had a bigger plan for him. See, when the world forgets us and we are serving in a secret place, we need to know that God sees where you are and he has a plan for you. He seeks the willing in hidden places. And the thing is, when it comes to the anointing, do you know what happened straight after the anointing? David went back out to wash his sheep. I'm not sure what was going on in his mind at, per, per se, but he went, Jesse goes, you still got a job to do. Get out there with the sheep. There was no massive change straight away from him. So he was willing, he was ready to be used, and, and God sent him back out to that place. And just like David, we may feel alone and forgotten. We may feel unimportant as an unimportant person in an unimportant job and an uninteresting life. Truth is, God sees us in a different light. And while we tend to, to the mundane tasks of our daily existence, God shapes us. And so David was back out with the sheep until, that is, Saul calls upon David. He says, I want you to come and be my servant. Now, this is, this is a... This is a big deal. Like, so I remember reading through this for the first time and I went, just read through it. And then, and I was reading through it just recently. This is a big deal because David's been anointed as king. And now he's been come to ask, he's been asked to serve the king who he's going to replace. So that's, that's in the ballpark. But the top of it all off, this is, this is the situation. Because Saul has fallen away from the presence of God. In his disobedience, he's lost the closest with God and he begins to lose his mind and he gets into rages and, and, and when he gets into rages, he tries to kill people. And so basically David is called in and saying, hey David, when Saul gets a bit upset and he goes into a rage and he starts trying to kill people, pick up your guitar, you're in there, you've got to bring him down a bit. It's not actually beforehand. There was no, it was like when he's already like that, this is your job to fix this problem. But this was the king that he was going to replace. David could have been impatient and arrogant in this. He could have walked into that room and saying, do you know what? You're nothing to me. I'm going to be, I'm going to be the top dog after you're gone. In fact, I might actually try and organize some people to get rid of you so I can get into that position earlier. He could have been impatient and sort of, and, and really sort of taken upon himself. But he takes a different route and let God use him in another way. Because what we need to realize is that God seeks the prepared. How is David, how could anybody be prepared for such a thing? 
Well, it all goes back to his time that he spent as a shepherd. God doesn't waste moments in our lives. Now, this is a really important thing because I think a lot of times we spend time in this situation waiting for the next or maybe the situation after that. I'm in school right now and I can't wait till I get to this point in my life. I'm in a struggle right now. I can't wait till I'm out of it. I'm waiting for this to happen and, I'm, and, and, and we're always looking forward and we can miss those moments, whether they are waiting moments, whether they are trial moments, because God wants to use that moment to prepare us for what may come next in his plan. And that's exactly what David did. He is sitting with sheep day by day. As a shepherd, he had to be patient. For the most part, as I said, it's not exciting. Yes, he had to protect the sheep. There was a lion and bear. But for the most part, David had to make sure they had food and water and it was just a little bit more exciting than watching the grass grow. That's how, that's how exciting it was. How does that patience help him now? Well, David knows God's plan, but he doesn't rush it. He says, I am the anointed king, but my time is not yet. So David was patient with the sheep. He could now be patient with Saul, even though he often saw him at his worst. David could be patient through that situation. But as I said, the time spent as a shepherd, he spent time writing songs of worship to God. What do you think he played when he played for Saul? Psalms of worship. David didn't wait for his time to have made it. He used that time and God gave that God gave him to prepare for whatever may come next. David didn't get too big for his boots. And in that we see that God seeks to prepare in a humble place. David is the anointed king. He's sent back to the sheep after he is anointed. No party, no celebration, no special um, dinner even with the family. No money in his pocket to grab some takeout on the way back. Nothing. His family kind of ignores it. Now again, like you could get really snooty with that and go, oh, well, well, I deserve a bit more attention. Hey, Dad, I think I should, I should be back here. Some of those other brothers should be out there with the sheep. God picked me. He doesn't do that. He, he, he acknowledges his father and goes out there. And when the knock, next opportunity comes up, it's a change of location, but it's called to be a servant. It's not called to be a king yet. David again responds with humility and says, yes, I'm willing to do that. But there is another layer here. David is called to serve the man that God has called him to replace. How would you go in a situation like that? Would you be saying, you can't tell me what to do? Or I'm not going to listen to you? Or let me tell you how this is going to go? David's willingness and humility serves, helps him to serve a man who on some days is trying to kill him. And this is what God is looking for in us. I am here. I am willing. What can I do to help or serve? No job is too small. I think a lot of us are like, and we've often seen it in skits and other things like that, where someone asks for a volunteer Instead of someone stepping forward, everyone step, except one person steps back. We do that in the church too. We, we do. We, 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 we kind of let other people sort of, okay, you, yep, you can do that one. I, I, I have really seen 
the heart of humility and, and this and people though when you allow it because there'll be jobs that come up and uh, I remember one one situation at a high school camp um, the boys the boys are normally a bit disgusting at camp um, no mums around to make sure they're cleaning up after themselves but this one year they they had been filthy in the boys towards um, and there was a pastor at that camp who basically said I'll go clean it up he didn't even give a chance for anyone else to step backwards he just went I'll do that here he was at a camp and he he could have easily asked someone else to do that. But he said, no, I'll take that job. I'll do that. Uh, and it's in those acts of humility that we allow God to work through us. No job too small. No, no, nothing that I won't say no to as long as God, you are asking me. Because the thing is, do we just wait for the important job, the seen job, the job that makes me feel better? If we as a church only do the jobs that are seen, we very quickly close the door of the church. I've come to realize this as a pastor over many years, but the, there is so much that happens in the church that is not seen by the wider, wider people. The team that practices here during the week, other things that happen and, and, and this happening here and, and all makes it all come together so that like sometimes the tip of the iceberg, we go, that's really great. But there's so much work that happens behind the scene. And if we only look, <laughs> look for the scene jobs or the jobs that will give me some kind of glory, then a lot of stuff will eventually shut. Now, so David was the shepherd, David was the servant, and eventually God removes Saul as king and David replaces him. After, And it says in, in, in 2 Samuel, after he subdued the land, he rules over all of Israel, something Something he's drawn to something that he wants to do. He says, I live in a palace, but God lives in a tent. And up until that point in time, what had happened, the tabernacle had been built in the time of Moses. It was really well designed. It was designed so it could go up and come down. And for 40 years, every time the Israelites moved, they would pack up, the Levites would pack up the tabernacle and each would move their piece. And then when they would get there, they'd put the tabernacle facing a certain direction. And the tribes actually had set places that they could, um, they would build up around. So you could tell where the different tribes were by where the, um, the tabernacle was facing. And so it was very precise. And then they got to the land of Israel in the time of Joshua. So that was hundreds of years before this time. They'd conquered the land and been sort of put in slavery again. And eventually when it got to the time of David, David has done everything. He's, he's now ruling over the whole land of Israel. He has actually pushed back all the tribes that shouldn't be in there, the Philistines. And he has taken control of the land for God. And he looks and he's living in his palace, his great castle. And he sees, look at God. God's in a tent. That's not right. And so he begins to talk to Nathan the prophet. And, and he says, I, I want to build a magnificent temple for God. I want to honor him for all he has done. And Nathan's listening and, and he's saying, that sounds great. God has blessed you. Go for it. Except Nathan gets home that night. Now, I'm not sure if he's doing his quiet times or, or God just speaks to him. He basically says, Nathan, David is not the man to build the tabernacle, to build the, the temple. So it's up to Nathan then to deliver the message the next morning. Now, again, you saw, if you're not familiar with the, the Saul's kingship, by the end of it, Saul was very demanding. He had, he had adopted the mannerisms of a king in the truest sense. My way, I'm the king, things happen my way. Nathan was going back to David and he basically said, 
that you will not build. You will not be building the temple. In fact, it'll be your son that builds the temple. Now, how do you think you would have taken the news if you were king or queen? I think some of us at home, like in our homes at the time, we, we can't put up with, with our children not listening to us or, or feeling insignificant at work. Here is the king saying, I want to take on this mighty project to honour God because of all he's done for me. How would have you responded when you got told, no, you can't do this? Would have you heard it in that tone? Would have you heard God saying, no, you can't do this and then sort of had a bit of a spiritual tantrum and going, that's not fair. David was king, a successful king, a wealthy king. And kings get to do what they want. He could have ignored Nathan. He could have ignored God. But God would not have blessed that. Because God seeks the willing and God seeks the prepared. God also seeks the surrendered. We need to actually have a look at what God wants versus what I think God wants at times they're two very different things well not always sometimes we are in line with god and we think i think this is what god wants us to do and we pray about it and we seek him and god says yes like that's what i want for you and we run with it and it's great there are other times where we go do you know what this is what i think god wants i think god wants flashing lights on the stage i think god wants to to do this and really new fancy program that will actually really lift the, 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 the credibility of the church. I think, I think God wants to do this in my life and so I'm going to pursue this dream that's in line with God's plan for my life. And we don't actually take the time to seek him on it. We think we have a better plan. We think we have a plan that, that will bless God. And the bonus is it'll bless us as well. God, we're both winners here. I'll bless you by doing this and, and I'll get a bit of a blessing along the way. But we may miss, when we sort of disagree with where God wants to, to lead us, and sometimes we go in active disobedience. Okay, sometimes we just go, no God, I'm not going to do that, I'm going to go my own way. There, there have been moments in my life where I've done that. I've seen people's lives who have been consumed by that choice. And the destruction that it brings over a period in their life is amazing. But when we, when we sort of, when we think we've got a better way, or when we think we sort of got a better plan than God, we may miss what God is, God's purpose in it. His greater plan. The lesson that He wants us to go through. Or simply the opportunity to be obedient. Are you content, or more the point, do you feel successful in your Christian walk when you simply obey? Because that, that, is, that is true Christian success. When we say yes to God when he asks us to do something. And that's the measure of the, the highest measure of success in the Christian walk. But that's not what we often look at. We look at other things. We, we, we weigh up how good things are going in our lives. But to just say yes to God is, is, a, is a, something that's amazing. And we go back to David's response. And we pick this up in... in um, in, in um, 2 Samuel, it says, this is what David actually says after Nathan has given him the news. He could have gone off and had a spiritual tantrum, 
But this is what he said and said. And he's praying to God, who am I, sovereign Lord? And what is my family that you have brought me this far? And if there, it was not enough in your sight, sovereign Lord, you have also spoken about the future of the house of your servant. And this decree, sovereign Lord, is for a mere human. See, the thing is, David went, I'm king, but you are God. And that's, that's, that's how David saw himself. He saw himself as a servant of God still, even though he was in that position of king and he was ruling over the land of Israel. He saw himself as a servant. He was thankful for what God had done in his life so far. And he, and, and he would have said, that is enough. If God, if you do nothing more in my life, what you have done for me is still so amazing that I'll still thank you for the rest of my life. But you have gone beyond that. You have spoken of my house. You have spoken of my family that will follow me. And you still continue to bless me. Instead of complaining or whinging about what God doesn't allow you to do, praise him for what he gives you the opportunity or the green light to do. I, I was watching a YouTube thing. I don't know how I got onto it um, this week. And it was, I think it was one of those TED Talks that, you, that are around. I don't even know what that means. But um, they had this 17-year-old boy. And this, is, this will show my lack of medical knowledge. He had... Aplegia or whatever that, that, the disease that makes you age very quickly. So he was 17 year old. He looked worse than Greg. Okay. So, um, um, and, um, so he was 17 and, and so basically he was giving this motivational speech and he started off with, he says, often the question I get is what things are a struggle for you? What things can't you do in your life? And he said, People often ask me that question, but I said, in all honesty, I try not to think of that question because, do you know what? I know what I can't do. But if I focus on the answer for that question, I can live my life wallowing, saying, I can't do this. So instead, my focus is, what can I do? And he shared a story. He wanted to play snare drums in the, um, in the marching band um, for, for his school. But he was about, uh, probably about 50, 50 kgs. And the contraption he had to wear to put the snare drum on was about 45. And so there was no way he could do it. And so the, the, the leader of their band put him into the, um, uh, the pit um, um, percussion so he could do that. But he really wanted to do this. So he went, well, how do I go about this? And so basically with his parents, they found an engineer and they designed this new harness that weighed 5 kgs. And he was able to put the snare drum on it. And so, so, but the perspective was way different. Too often, we think of the same in the Christian life. We kind of go, God, why can't I do this? And it may not be a bad thing. It may not be sin. It may be God wants to, we want to go in this direction. And when God says, no, that's not for you. But you go, God, I really want that. Well, I think I want that. Everyone else is doing that. That church over there gets to do that exact thing. Why can't we do it as well? And instead of focusing on where we could be going, where God wants us to go, we actually get stuck we get imprisoned in our complaining. The 17, I said, I don't think about what I can't do. He doesn't even have those conversations. He focuses on what he can do and finding ways to do more. Being surrendered becomes so powerful because it doesn't trap us in a spiritual tantrum. But we are free to serve God's direction and serve God in His direction and blessing. And this is important because God seeks the surrendered and then He uses them 
in high places. The thing is, at times I think we want to get to the high place first and then we'll say, God, do your work in me. But what we need to realize is sometimes we don't get to that high place because we are never ready for it. We're never ready to serve in that because we want to get to that place because it's just about me. Now, you could be at a different stage altogether. You might be... You might be asking that question, why am I not in that high place? You might be in that waiting period. The David the shepherd. You are waiting at a period of time in your life where it may seem dull. It may seem lifeless. It may seem, I don't want to be doing this for the rest of my life. But God says, I want to use this time. Don't waste it. Make sure you are willing right here to do what I want you to do. You might be waiting. Are you willing though? God might be preparing you. God might be sort of saying, okay, I'm going to take you to that next stage. It's not the end goal yet, but I want to put you in this, this next stage where, again, you're going to be challenged. You're going to be growing. You, God was wanting to do something in your life and he's going to sort of put you through other things. Don't race ahead. Be patient in that. Be humble in that. That might be where you are. Or... One of the reasons you may not be in the high place God wants for you yet is that you just may not be surrendered. You may just not be surrendered. You want to get to that that reward place because it's all about you. And we see in David's life, when David was in that position, and again, it's not to say he didn't mess up. We're going to be looking at that in a few weeks' time. David had this desire to serve God, to serve the people of God. And when God says, no, you can't do that, he went, hey, that's okay. And David actually spent his life actually preparing for the building of the temple. He actually stored up resources. He built relationships with tree um, um, professional people that would move the trees down into Israel. So when Solomon did take over, he was ready to go. David did all that he could. But he was, he was just thankful for the opportunity that, that God gave him. And because he was humble before God, God was able to use him in high places. In fact, it was when he lost that humility is when he got in trouble. We're going to be looking at that in a few weeks' time. So God wants us to have a godly heart. And to have a godly heart, we, we need to be willing because God seeks the willing. God seeks the prepared. And God seeks to surrender. And that is what God is wanting of us. Now, if you had a spiritual chart on your fridge where you could tick off this, are you able to get three ticks this morning? Are you saying, yep, God, I'm willing. I'm willing and ready to do whatever you ask me to do. Now, straight away, should have, this is what you need to do. Because you got, you, some of you have got to start going, you know what? God can't use me. God can't, I'm too old, I'm too young, I'm too whatever. God can't use me. So as soon as you do that, you're, you're not saying I am willing. You're saying I'm willing, but God, you can't use me. So there's conditions. And so if you ask me something that's too difficult, I'm not going to do it. So you're not really willing then. So you've got to be able to say, I am willing. Whatever you ask God, I'm going to be able to do because you've called me to it. And the thing is, it may be a small thing. So it might be, I'm willing to do the small things that need to be done 
for God to work in my life, for God to work in my church, for God to work in my town, whatever it is. I'm willing to do that if you call me to do that, God. God seeks to prepare. Do you see how God has actually worked in your life to bring you to this point? As I said, God doesn't waste an opportunity. God doesn't waste a hurt. God doesn't waste um, betrayal. God doesn't waste anything in your life. He actually, um, as Romans, he says, God works all things together for his good. Now, again, I don't want us to go through hurt. I don't want us to go through difficult times. I don't want us to feel like we're struggling all the time. But this is the thing. God is such an amazing God that he can turn that around and he can use it for his glory. So we, we talked about this a little bit last week with Ezekiel and wrapping up our Desire More series. Are we willing to let God take our, our junk and actually let it into his hands and let him heal that, let him restore it, let him redeem it so that he can use it for more? And so you might be going, I'm not prepared for anything, but God is going, hey, you actually prepared a lot. You might just need me to focus in on a bit. You might need me to heal some things a bit. You might need to be just to, to change your perspective a little bit, but I don't waste a thing. I'm ready to use you. And the last one is probably the, we've been talking about this for a while over the last few weeks. God seeks to surrender. God seeks to surrender. The ones that say, God, you are God, I am not, and nothing else matters other than that. And, and that, that's, that's the thing, like if we actually take that idea into all that we do, we take it into our families. So for, for those who are able to understand this concept as teenagers, I am not God, God is God. And, and so if I let God be in charge of my life, how will that change my relationship in my home? With my mum and dad, with my, my brothers and sisters, um, with my friends, with my teachers, because as a teenager, we kind of want, I'm in charge. I'm, in, I'm, I'm, I'm doing all the things that I want to do. But the thing is, we need to realize that God is God and I am not. Maybe we're, we're, it's not school. Maybe it's sort of a position at work and we're kind of going, well, hey, God can use me. God can push me in that direction. And, and I, I, it's all about me again. We need to remember, God is God and I am not. And I'll surrender to you. That that doesn't mean that God won't take you to high places. But it does mean that we we always maintain that perspective no matter what we do. It can even be here at church. We can have an idea. We think this is the way that things should happen because for some reason I it is about me when it comes to church. It's about making things that I want and, and, and all this kind of stuff. And, 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 and so it's not, no, it's not about me. It's not about you. Sorry to say. It's about God. We gather here to honor God. We gather here to tell others about God. Those are our two primary things and everything else happens in the middle of that. But if we forget those two things, if it's about me and making sure I'm happy, well, neither one of those other two things happen. God doesn't get glory and other people don't come to know him. There's an importance in being surrendered. And so today as we, as we wrap this up, there's, we have a desire to, do we have that desire to have a godly heart? To have a heart like David, to, for God, for, for God to look at us and go, hey, we've got a heart after God's own heart. And, and we are capturing, capturing the, I suppose, the passion and the idea of God's own heart.
I'm just going to invite the, the worship team up as I'm going to pray. Our last song today is um, My Heart Is Yours. And so um, I pray that you you are challenged by the words as you sing them because because if you just sing them and just get through, get to morning tea, there's there's no real commitment to that. But if you sort of have been listening today and go, I, I, I want to be someone who's willing, I want to be someone who's prepared, I want to be someone who's surrendered, and you sing these words and you mean it, it well, it is an act of surrender, saying, God, my heart and, and everything I hold dear, I'm going to put into your hands and I'm going to trust you with it. Lord, I, I thank you for, for the life of David and the, and the example he gives us. I thank you that you can look into each of our hearts and, and identify where each of us are and that we can work, walk with you. And, and to, um, I pray that we would be willing and prepared and, and, and surrendered to you and so that our heart would mirror your own. Um, and I, I pray that as we go into this week that you would challenge us in those areas. I pray this in your name.